Last week, we considered the, this graceful way that David had behaved in pretending to be mad when he was at Gath because he was afraid and did not put his trust in the Lord. This morning, our call to worship consisted of some very well-known verses calling us to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Last week we saw that David did not rely upon the Lord, but he did rely upon his own understanding. He thought it best to pretend to be to be crazy in order to gain his freedom. In so doing, he brought disgrace not only to himself, but also to God. This morning, we're going to consider how much different a person's life looks when they are trusting in the Lord. This morning, we want to take a very practical look at trusting in the Lord. What does that look like? What does that mean in practice? Such a nice thing to say that we need to be trusting in the Lord. But exactly what does that involve? What must one do in order to be actively trusting in the Lord? Well, this morning, our theme is that we are going to answer the question, what does trusting in the Lord involve? And we're going to look at five aspects of what is involved in trusting in the Lord. Background. As we open the narrative, once again, David is fleeing from his enemies. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David departed from there, that is Gath, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. While at the cave, his family came to be with him, in verse 1, the end of that verse. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Then a motley crew also joins themselves to David in verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So this is the setting for yet another occasion in which David needs to place his trust in the Lord. Unlike the experience at Gath, this time David is going to come through with flying colors. Our focus is upon what was involved in David's trusting in the Lord. What did that look like? What did that mean? Well, first, trusting in the Lord involves waiting upon the Lord to see what God will do. It is a belief in God's providential care and oversight in all the circumstances and situation of our lives. If you notice with me, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 3, it reads, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. Key phrase. So I know what God will do for me. The future is uncertain for David. He does not know what he is going to face, nor where he is to go next. 
However, David did know that his father and mother were not up to the rigors that David would face. They're already quite elderly at this time. All the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 12, when David is first anointed by Samuel, it reads, In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years, referring to David's father, Jesse. So he's very old. So David leaves his parents behind as he pushes on in verse 4. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So waiting upon the Lord involves a trust in God's providence, watching and waiting for God to work. What would come next? He didn't know. He had to simply wait and see. Application. There are many, many times in our lives in which we don't know what is going to come next. Now, none of us knows what tomorrow holds in the absolute sense, but many times there are a path, there are paths on which we are on, and we can anticipate what tomorrow is going to hold and the next day and the next day. And then there are other occasions in which we're just kind of at wit's end. We come to a stop, and we wonder what is the next point in our lives. We may have lost our job. We may have to be making a decision about going to college or not going to college, marrying or, or not marrying, or who to marry. And there are these times of being at a crossroad and wondering what is the next step? What, where do I go from here? Well, the first step in learning to trust in the Lord is to wait patiently for God's providential oversight, for his leading and direction in our lives. Secondly, trusting in the Lord involves a willingness to follow the Lord's instruction. Verse 5, then the prophet Gad said to David, then the prophet Gad said to David, verse 5, now we see God's providence at work. A prophet appears virtually out of nowhere. There, there is a big gap in this narrative between verse 4 and verse 5 in the sense that we don't know what prompted this prophet to go to David. <coughs> we assume that God had directed the prophet to David, that he is, he is sent by God, it's important to realize that David had not sought out the prophet, but God had graciously provided David with a prophet to instruct him in the next step. There's the providential aspect. God brought the prophet to David, as opposed to David seeking the prophet. This was God's work. David as I said, had not sought the prophet, but God had graciously provided David with a prophet to instruct him in the next step. You notice in verse 5, Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. There was still much of which David would have been uncertain. This isn't a very developed message. Uh, a lot is left unsaid. 
All that he knows is that he is to leave the stronghold and go to the land of Judah. That part is clear. Go into the land of Judah. We must remember that this was the very area where David had just fled from, previous to his being at Gath. The reason that he went to Gath was that he was leaving Judah because he was afraid that Saul was going to be chasing him there. Now the prophet is telling him to go back to the very place where previously he had been afraid to stay. Nevertheless, he follows the Lord's instruction that was given to him through the prophet. For it tells us at the end of verse 5, so, the reason being, the prophet had told him to go in the land of Judah, so David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Application. I wonder if you've ever wished that God would send you a prophet so that you would know what to do. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, Wouldn't it be great if God would send us a a messenger and that messenger would reveal to us what God's will is? Well, he's not going to send us a messenger in this Old Testament sense in which the prophet Gad was sent to David. But we do believe, we do believe that God will speak to us. We believe that God meets with us in worship. We come to church to hear his word. We come to ultimately hear from God, not from a person, but from God. We trust in God by expecting to be helped and receiving instruction from the message, from the preached word. Because it is God's word that is being preached. It is God's message that's being delivered. And in the goodness of God, and in the providence of God, we often hear a message that seems to speak directly to our own need or our own situation. Haven't you sat through a message in which you have said, Wow, that seems like he's preaching to me. Seems like he knows what is going on behind the scenes. That was directed at me. I don't direct sermons at people. But the Spirit of God takes his word and applies it to the lives of his people. It is that belief that causes us to gather every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and open this book because we believe that God speaks to us through that word. So our responsibility in trusting in the Lord is to look expectantly, coming with an anticipation that God is going to direct me through his word And my response needs to be one of obedience. That when I hear that word and it applies to my situation, that then I put it into practice. I do what it says. Even as David went to the land of Judah, having been so instructed by the prophet. 
Now we fast forward, having already considered verses 6 to 23 in uh, previous weeks, and it brings us to chapter 23, verse 1, which is our third point. Trusting in the Lord involves seeking further guidance from God. Trusting in the Lord involves seeking further guidance from God. David is in his stronghold, hiding from Saul, verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floor. Calah was a fortified town in Shephelah of Judah, located a bit over eight miles northeast of Hebron and about three miles south of Adullam. So pretty close where David is at the time. David, unlike Saul, is concerned about the plight of the people at Cala when he hears what the Philistines have done. Saul should have been concerned, but he wasn't. The primary duty of King Saul was to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. All the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 9, when it is revealed to Samuel that Saul is going to be king over Israel, God declares the reason that he had raised up Saul to be king over Israel. And that's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 16, and it reads as follows. Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because they cry has come up to me. So Saul's primary responsibility was to be delivering the children of Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. Now here we have a city of Israel, Calah, who is being oppressed by the Philistines. Though Saul doesn't seem to be at all concerned, interested, and offers no assistance in helping to defend Calah from these raids that are being perpetrated by the Philistines. So David wonders what he should do. What is his responsibility in this situation? Therefore, David seeks the Lord's guidance as to whether he should go and help the people of Calah or not. Verse 2. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up and attack these Philistines? What is significant is that David is asking the Lord. David isn't just assuming what he should do. He doesn't just sit there and say, well, it makes common sense. Here I am, I'm close by, the Philistines are coming in and attacking Kayla. Obviously, I need to go and defend them and fight against the Philistines. He doesn't. He doesn't. He seeks the Lord. He asks for the Lord's direction. He asks for the Lord's guidance. That is so different from the way he conducted himself when he was at Gath. What should I do? He asks. Well, the Lord tells David to fight in verse 2. 
At the end of verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb. Now, David's men are not pleased when they hear of the plan to fight against the Philistines. Verse 3. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kela against the army of the Philistines? In the, in the minds of these men, they have enough trouble. Why do they want to go and stir up even more trouble? They say in verse 3 that they are afraid here in Judah. They're already concerned about Saul and Saul's relentless pursuit of them and desire to kill them. And now David is talking about taking on the Philistines as well and having enemies on all sides. It isn't just that they were indifferent, but they were scared for their lives. Now, just aside here for a moment, one should not be surprised that these men were not excited to risk their lives in order to help others. Remember the character of these 400 men who are banding with David. Remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2 we read this morning, the ones that came to gather to David, it says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was in bitter soul gathered to him. They all had their own problems. They all had their own concerns. They were not the cream of the crop. They were not the best fighting force that one could imagine. So it's not surprising that they are not interested in trying to alleviate the problems of the people of Kela. So David makes sure that it is indeed the will of God that he fight against the Philistines, verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord again. This is the second time. God had already told him what to do, but the men didn't want to do it. So David asks God again. David might well have been surprised by the response of his men. Not because of their character, but because this endeavor was of the Lord. One might think that if God wants David to go out and fight against the Philistines at Kela, that he would have prepared all the hearts of his men that when David said, let's go and fight, that they all say, yes, David, we're with you, let's go and fight. Well, that's not their response. That's not their response. They're afraid. They said, we're already afraid. Why do we want to go and take on the Philistines to boot? They are reluctant at best. So David has this uncertainty is this really, Lord, what you want me to do? To take these men and go and fight against the Philistines. Here's another great lesson to learn about trusting in the Lord. And that is, we might think that it's reasonable to assume 
that God, if God is leading us in a particular direction, then everything's going to go smooth. Then, then everything is just going to fall into place. That if I'm following God's will and direction in my life, then I can anticipate seeing certain events and activities that demonstrate the blessing of God, that God is at work, that God is touching people's hearts and lives and minds. But David didn't see any of that. Nothing. There was no encouragement to be obeying and trusting in the Lord except what God had told him to do. That's an important lesson about trusting in the Lord. We aren't just looking for signs and circumstances, and we're not looking for blessings and the way in which we can see the plan of God unfolding, and we can see God at work in people's lives and how God is changing this, this, and that. It's a response to his word. A response to his word. We can always be assured that the right course of action is obedience to his revealed word. That is trust. That is commitment to the Lord. Well, once again, the Lord tells David to fight. And not only to fight, but that he will win the battle. Verse 4, Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. David trusted the Lord and did as the Lord instructed him. Verse 5. And David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines. So here is God at work. These men did not rebel. They followed David into battle. God, of course, was trustworthy and granted David a great success, just as God said that he would. Verse 5. And David went and his men from Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. Now, one might ask the question or wonder the manner in which David sought the Lord's guidance and how he got such a clear answer. Verse 6 tells us, when Abiathar, the son of Abimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary, says, and I quote, Verse 6 constitutes a four-year information note explaining how it was that David could ask direction from Jehovah. End quote. This direction came from Abiathar, who was a priest. He had the ephod, meaning that he was acting as high priest in Israel at this time. So David goes to Abiathar. He's the mediator as David is seeking the Lord's direction and asking what he should do. Well, we don't have a human individual who is acting between 
ourselves and God as a mediator. Well, not an earthly human being that we might think of, but we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is a mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not only do we have a mediator in the person of Lord Jesus Christ, but we also have the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it reads, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings which cannot, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we are to pray. We are to pray. We noted the fact that we are to hear God's word, we're to listen to word, God's word, and we're to respond to God's word. But after having heard and after having responded, there is still need for further direction in our lives. That's why prayer is so important, and not only important, but essential. If we want to be people who are trusting in and doing the will and work of God. We have the promise that the Holy Spirit will help us as we pray. We do not know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. We don't need to instruct God. We don't need to tell him what to do. We don't need to set out a plan and say, God, you need to do A, B, C, and D. But simply, the word of God says, cast your care upon him, for he knows that he cares for you. So we simply bring our needs before the Lord. We simply pour out our concerns before God. And God will move and work in answer to our prayers. Fourth, trusting in the Lord involves continuing to rely upon the Lord even when things do not turn out as we would like, hope for, or perhaps even expected. Let me say that again. Trust in the Lord involves continuing to rely upon the Lord, even when things do not turn out as we would like, hope for, or perhaps even expected. Now there's a wrinkle. David has just gotten this great defeat over the Philistines. He has preserved the people of Cala, but there's this wrinkle. Saul is going to seek to entrap David at Cala, verse 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Cala, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Here is Saul, who is not following the word of God, who is not submitting himself to God's will. Uh, he knows that he is to be removed as king over Israel. And yet, here is Saul in his audacity, saying that God is leading him because of these circumstances. Obviously, Saul says, that God has delivered David in my hands because he's put David in a place where he's surrounded by bars and gates. There's no place 
for David to escape. Well, one comes to such conclusions when one looks merely at circumstances, does not seek God, does not seek his word, does not respond in obedient faith, and does not inquire of God by prayer. He's flying by the seat of his pants. And the reality is he doesn't care what God wants. He cares what he wants. And he has the audacity to assume that they are one and the same, which so often people do. What God wants for me is what I want. That's how I know what God's will is, what God wants. God would want me to be happy. God would want me to be blessed. God would want me to be this or that. Therefore, it must be of God. Well, Saul says this is of God. So Saul gathers his army to fight against Calah. Verse 8, Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. It is David that Saul is after. However, it's important to realize that Saul is willing to destroy the entire city in order to get at David. If you look at verse 10. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard now these words that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Saul's intention when he gathered his army together was to wipe this city out. To destroy it. This is a city of Israel. This is a city of the people of God. And Saul is seeking to destroy it. Now remember, Saul was unwilling to fight the Philistines to preserve this city. David delivers the city of the Philistines. Now Saul comes right around and wants to destroy the very city that had been spared simply because David is there and wants to get to David. Well, the news comes to David while he's at Calah that Saul is going to seek to entrap him there. Verse 9, David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. How he knows is not told, but he knows. So once again, David trusts the Lord and continues to seek God's guidance. Verse 9, David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. So David has two questions from the Lord. First, what will the people of Calah do when Saul arrives? Will they turn David over to Saul, verse 11. Will the man of Calah surrender me into his hand? Second question. Will Saul come down to Calah? Verse 11. Middle of the verse. Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? 
Well, God answers the second question first at the end of verse 11. And the Lord said, he will come down. So David asked again, will the men turn David over to Saul? Verse 12, then David said, will the men of Caleb surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord answers, he will, at the end of verse 12. And the Lord said, they will surrender you. They will surrender you. Now remember, these are the very people that David had spared. These were the people that David had delivered from the hand of the Philistines. But they're going to to turn David over to Saul. I would anticipate that that's not what David thought was going to happen. I would imagine that David thought that he would ingrain himself to the people of the city, that they would appreciate David's defense of them, and would come to his assistance. It's a logical conclusion, just on an earthly level. But also, on a spiritual level, one might assume that because of one's obedience, because of one's faith, because one's having trusted in the Lord, because of one's obedience, having done what God had said, namely, that he would go to Calah, fight against the Philistines, God would give him a victory, and all of that takes place, it would be easy to assume that David's problems are behind him. <laughs> that that was a test that he passed, and now he's just going to live this period of, of blessing and respite and just enjoy the favor of God and the goodness of God, and that's not what happens. It's not what happens. His old nemesis rises up against him. The very concern that David's men had before they even went to battle is we still have to be afraid of Saul. And you want to go to battle? Well, here's Saul. And David says, is Saul really going to come? Yes, Saul's coming. Will the people hand me over to Saul? Yes, they will hand you over. Well, it's not difficult to imagine how disappointing it must have been for David to discover that the people whom he had delivered from, Philistine, from the Philistines' oppression had so little gratitude for what he had done that they would betray him into the hands of Saul. But keep in mind, keep in mind, these people would have already heard what, God, what Saul had done to the people of Nob. Remember when uh, he kills Abimelech and all the priestly family, he also wipes out all the people of the city of Nob. They realize that it's in the character of Saul to do this very thing. If they don't hand David over, they're all going to be wiped out. So David and his men leave the city, verse 13. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Calah, and they went wherever they could go. All is not totally bleak in this account. 
It's not like everyone had turned their back upon David and that these were real scoundrels at Caleb. For we're given this little note in verse 13 that says, David and his men, who were about 600 men, if you paid careful attention when you were back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, when David first went to the cave of Adullam, it says, and there were with him about 400 men. So from the time that they were at the cave of Adullam to the time that they go to Kela and they're fighting against the Philistines, David picks up 200 men. So there were 200 people that had fought alongside David when they were taking on the Philistines that stayed loyal to David. There were 200 individuals that now followed David who had previously not followed David. So we can see God's hand at work. But David has no good place to go, verse 13. Then David and his men, who were about 600, rose and departed from Kela, and they went wherever they could go. All right, so they're just scattering. They are just fleeing. So Saul did not attack the city, verse 13. At the end of that verse, it says, When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kela, he gave up the expedition. He didn't go down there and fight. He didn't have a problem with the Kalites. He wanted David. And when David wasn't there, he called the battle off. Called the battle off. So we can see the Lord's grace. We can see the Lord's goodness. And when, we can see how when we trust in the Lord, it benefits not only ourselves but others. It's easy to see right from the start how the city was benefited by David coming against the Philistines and sparing them and delivering them and saving them. But they were saved a second time. This from a different enemy. This from an enemy that no one would have anticipated, and that was their own king, Saul. And David leaves the city of Kela, not simply because they would turn him over, but he leaves the city to spare the city so that destruction will not come upon them. And once it's known that David is no longer there, Saul gives up the thought of fighting against the city. So too, as we trust the Lord and obey him, it will be a blessing not only to ourselves but to others. And many times in ways that we don't even imagine or foresee. Some of it's obvious, such as the saving of the city the first time. Some of it is not so obvious, such as the saving of the city the second time. But we can believe and know for certainty that when we are a people who are being obedient to the Lord and following his direction, seeking his guidance, that it will be a blessing not only to ourselves but to others. Quite the contrary for Saul. 
Lastly, trusting in God involves not losing sight of God's blessing in our lives. Trusting in God involves not losing sight of God's blessing in our lives. We already saw one aspect in which things did not turn out the way that was anticipated, namely that after the city is spared, Saul is still after David. So we trust in God, and we believe, again, in God's providential working and care in our lives. Seeing God at work does not mean that everything in our life goes smoothly or that circumstances immediately change. David's circumstances did not change, if you look at verse 14. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. Still hiding out. David's life did not go smoothly, verse 14. David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And now these words, and Saul sought him every day. Saul sought him every day. So easy to read. But just think of the fact that every single day he knows he's got this adversary. Every single day of his life, no respite. David had just done what God wanted him to do and delivered the city, and the city is spared and will know all kinds of prosperity and peace, and they're preserved from Saul. Saul's not chasing the city anymore. He's willing to let them go because he's not concerned about the city He wants David. And it seems like everybody else is being blessed. (laughs) It seems like everything is working out for others, but what about David? Why doesn't God deliver David? Why is he being sought Day after day after day after day. Why is all this relentless persecution taking place? Had God forgotten David? Had God forsaken David? Had God been unfaithful to David? Let's look at verse 3 again. The last sentence. Excuse me, 1 Samuel 23, 14. 1 Samuel 23, 14, last sentence. And Saul sought him every day, but, but, but God, but God did not give him into his hand. Every single day, David was experiencing God's deliverance. Every single day, God was watching over him. Every single day, God was protecting David. Every single day, God thwarted Saul's plans. Next week, we're going to see that Jonathan goes to encourage David. Jonathan can find David. This messenger can find David to tell him about gas, but Saul can't find David. 
because of the grace of God, because of the sovereign purpose of God. God is not going to allow Saul to kill David. We know that from the beginning of the story. And he's going to try and try and try and try, and it's never going to happen. Because God won't allow it to happen. God is being faithful. God is doing what he said. God is sparing the life of David. But I tell you, it is easy to overlook the goodness and grace and mercy of God in our lives when we are in tough spots. When we're in situations that we expect that God is going to deliver us from the situation itself, meaning the persecution. Not just that God would spare his life, but that somehow this whole thing would come to an end. That Saul would no longer be chasing him. That we can move on to plan B, where David now becomes king. He knows that day is coming, but man, is it slow in coming. And when we're in situations in life in which there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but man, is that tunnel long. And we've been praying and praying and praying and still praying. Don't lose sight of the grace of God in the midst of circumstances that do not change. Maybe you're sick. And you continue to be sick. God upholds you. God gives you grace. God gives you the ability to cope. God enables you to glorify his name. And there are a thousand and one applications that you can think of. Your own plight. And maybe you've been longing to be delivered. Don't lose sight of God's grace in the midst. That's trusting in the Lord. Even when things don't go the way that we would like. Oftentimes, we pray to the Lord and our circumstances do not change. We still find ourselves in very difficult and trying situations. At such times, it's very important to have a moment, to take a moment, and reflect on how God is still helping and supplying our needs. Conclusion, a quick review. Five things that are involved in trusting in the Lord. First, trusting in the Lord involves waiting upon the Lord. Waiting for God's providential work to take place. To simply see what God is going to do next in our lives. Secondly, trusting in the Lord involves a willingness to follow the Lord's instruction. To come with anticipation as we listen to God's word, as you read God's word in your daily devotions, believing that God is going to instruct you, God is going to teach you from his word, and when he does, to obey that instruction. Third, trusting in the Lord involves seeking further guidance through prayer, further understanding, further direction, further enablement, 
Fourth, trusting in the Lord involves continuing to rely upon the Lord even when things do not turn out as we would like, hope for, or perhaps even expected, such as when David was at Kayla. And then fifth, trusting in God involves not losing sight of God's blessing in our lives. Lord is good. Lord is good. Lord is gracious. And I can say with complete confidence, no matter what you are going through, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is good. If you know the Lord is your Savior, He loves you. He is providing for you. He is helping you. Look for it. See it. Be encouraged by it. Trust in the Lord. For He is faithful to you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God who is indeed trustworthy. So increase our faith in you. May we learn the great lesson, how different David's life looks when he's at gas, pretending to be insane because he's relying upon his own ingenuity, he's relying upon his own wits, and he's disgracing himself and he's disgracing you. How different life looks when David is putting his faith and trust in you. How you are being glorified. How David is being a blessing and help to others. How David is being exalted through that trust and that obedience. Oh Lord, help us to have an ever-increasing trust in you. May it be a practical trust of not relying upon our own wisdom, by relying upon you, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.